This is PRN, your as-needed dose of medical knowledge. I'm Alana Castro-Gilliard. And I'm Chandler Davis. This podcast provides general information and discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. It is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice or the practice of medicine. The views expressed herein do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Adward via College of Osteopathic Medicine or any other institution or employer. In today's podcast, I'll be continuing my conversation with Dr. McCarthy, a private practice direct primary care physician who practices in the Blacksburg area. This is the second part of our discussion on private practice and how to determine if it is right for you. I hope you enjoy. What would you say the difference is between strictly owning your practice outside of, obviously you have to take on all of the financial risk and everything like that, but um, why would someone want to have their own private practice versus just joining a group? Sure. Um, I mean, there's some sincere pros to joining a group. You know, you're not inventing the wheel. You're going to have some coverage. You know, you join a group. Somebody's going to have figured out how the phone tree works and can explain that to you so you don't have to go figure that out yourself, these kind of things. Um, And that's, you know, for a lot of people just coming out, that may be a fantastic option and an attractive option. You know, I think to the extent that you can control your own fate you should and um, you know being able to be outside the system gives me uh, amazing autonomy in how I practice medicine and just in my overall satisfaction with what I do Um, contentment is is something we should throw in here you know contentment after all um, has a lot more to do with how you look at it than where you are Um, so you know, if, if you're going to look at that first contract and be like, holy cow, this salary sounds awesome, um, you know, I'll do any of that, <laughs> you know. Um, um, and then, like, two years into it, you're going to be like, you're going to be talking to your friends, you're going to be um, seeing others around you, and the grass is going to look greener. And, and some of us are better at assessing what that grass will taste like when we get there than others. Um I heard this was off the Moth Radio Hour, I think, and it's a whole lot of background, but the punchline of the whole podcast was um, the grass is always greener where you water it. And, you know, if I, if I have my own practice, I can put a lot of time and effort into changing the things that I want to see changed. If I want to see more kids, all right, let's advertise. Let's get some kids in, in here. Let's, um, Let's go speak in some schools, you know, let's talk to some parent groups, let's target our Facebook stuff to families with young kids. Um, I don't want to see a lot of kids. I want to see old people. All right, what can I do, you know, I want to see a balance, okay? You know, whereas, and and so I have that ability to make my practice what I want it to be, Um, you know, this is a little bit of an aside. I find myself doing tons of counseling. Like that's a lot of what I do because I have this big relationship with these patients where I've spent a ton of time with them over time and I'm not a counselor, okay? <laughs> like personality-wise, I'm not very good at it. Um, you know, et cetera. I'm a decent listener, but you know, so I'd like to go back and get more training on counseling. I can do that, you know what I mean? And I can block time to do more counseling. You know, whereas in another practice, I wouldn't have this kind of autonomy. So, um, but maybe you joined the group practice, or maybe you you joined the um, the hospital conglomerate, and you know, um, you'll have less ability to change that. But that can be okay. You know, think about you know what do I need to be doing to be content here, and how am I spending my time to build 
build my joy in medicine because that matters. Otherwise, you know, if you're here to make money, you should have done something else is the honest truth. Not because, you know, and not because that's like the right thing to do, just because you'd make more money doing something else <laughs> with the time that you put into it. So, <laughs> fair. Yeah, I like the what you were talking about with the, the grass is greener where you water it. I think that's a really great saying. Um, and it, it provides a good perspective of, um, you know, if you're putting effort into something, you know, you can really change what you have control over. And you have control over a lot of things that you don't realize. Um, so taking ownership of that definitely provides you the freedom to be able to make it better, you know. In your experience, has there been any lifestyle aspects that you would tell someone hey, you need to consider before you do this. Yeah, I mean, again, thinking about who who are the shareholders in this, right? And significant others, kids, you know, you know, this is my career, but others are affected by it. How am I considering their um, part in this decision? And, you know, how much time, you know, what are my priorities? Um, I would say um, this practice has been awesome. Owning my own practice has been awesome in the sense that I have had I've been busy, but I've had control over when I'm busy. Um, you might hear in the background running around the office right now, my three-year-old is hanging out with us today. Um, my kids, you know, have been involved in my practice. You know, I remember when my daughter, she's six now, but when she was four, so this was two, two and a half years ago, we had a little girl her same age who had a pot of boiling water come off a stovetop and hit her leg, and so we were doing, like, pretty involved dressing changes in the office daily with this little girl it was really tough and my daughter B came in it was one of her friends and helped us with the dressing changes you know and as a four-year-old asking some really cute questions but just got to see that like from day one you know this is what my dad does no he doesn't just jump in the car and come home at six and I don't know what work means you know work means he's gone you know for my kids work doesn't just mean dad's gone it means oh that's that that's I know what dad's doing right now and um and, and that's been awesome you know to share my career with my kids and let them kind of see that um it makes me making sacrifices for my career more meaningful because those sacrifices include them you know that we're making this sacrifice as a family you know it's coronavirus time dad's not gonna be around a lot or dad's gonna be stuck at home walking around trying to talk on the phone and we gotta not scream all day you know so um but you know we chose blacksburg because we feel this town fits our lifestyle we enjoy the small town feel of it um we it's a great place to have kids and it happens to be a great place to have a direct primary care. There are parts of the country that it would be difficult to, to start a direct primary care practice. Um, I hope that will change. You know, I hope this will, it's universe, universality, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, but it's malleability, malleability to different contexts will be realized in the next years. But um, where you live is going to factor, who your shareholders are going to factor, what your organizational style and skills are, you know, when we opened this practice, I worked in Supermax prisons for three years. I still do occasionally. My partner and I have a contract with the state of Virginia, and we bid prison contracts, and we wake up early in the morning and drive off in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, and spend the day taking care of some really crazy stuff, um, which was a great way to pay the bills. It made the practice possible. When, you know, when we opened the door, we had 40 patients, and that's all the money we had coming in. Um, 
I can certainly see some people not wanting to do that. You know, <laughs> I've had a lot of friends say, How, you know, I would never go to a prison and, you know, <laughs> um, you know, at, and, um, there, you know, so again, the grass is greener where, you know, there were things I could look at that I loved about going to the prison that I still love about going to the prison. I have, I have better stories than anybody. <laughs> um, but, um, but it was a means to the end, you know, I'd spent a lot of my early days with the practice driving in my 1992 Honda Civic to a prison on the phone, trying to talk to patients back in Blacksburg, trying to talk them through this or that, and thinking, I never, this is not what I thought medicine would look like, <laughs> you know. Um, again, if you, if you have the power, if you have the autonomy um, to make decisions about how you practice medicine, your lifestyle will have to be better. And you'll be choosing those sacrifices as opposed to just having to take them on as they're doled out to you. So, so the next question I have is, um, again, going into really just kind of getting a, a private practice started. And w- one of the obvious things that needs to be considered, and I think uh, everyone can understand that it's a bit taboo to talk about, but it's extremely important. And I think many students in med school and many physicians don't like talking about it, but it's money. Mm-hmm. And starting a private practice definitely requires uh, finances, and it's an investment in your career, and it's an investment in your business. Um, so what are some important financial considerations for a student to really, or now I guess a physician, to consider before uh, starting a private practice? Obviously, loans become a, a huge factor, and I think many students definitely have loans now, so they're considering that as well. But if there's any important considerations that may need to be um, figured out before starting it, if you have any insights. Yeah, sure. So we... Um we used to kind of joke about the different backgrounds that came to VCOM and the different, you know, financial backgrounds that came to VCOM and what loans mean to different ones of us. You know, I think I, um, yeah, I took full student loans. I didn't have undergrad debt, but I took full student loans to go to VCOM. And, um, you know, I, I can see the eyebrows raised and it's like, okay, yeah, now I'm going to take out debt to start a practice. Um, we opened the practice with zero debt and kept it de- have kept it debt-free from the start, um, and that's by moonlighting. And I think that's the main answer to your question here is you're going to have to, if you're starting from scratch, um, especially in the DPC world where you're not fee-for-service, so you know, you're building those relationships one at a time, building that retainer base takes time. You know, average DBC practices take about three years to fill. So what are you going to do for three years? Well, you're going you're gonna to have to moonlight. Um, and I can get way out in the weeds on how that looks for DPC docs. You know, I'm opted out of insurance. I'm opted out of Medicare, Medicaid, and I'm not pursued um, endorsements from any of the insurance companies. So I can't just go work at a MedExpress necessarily, you know, without potential for Medicare fraud. I can't work at... Um, large hospital corporation in our area. I can't go work for them in their primary care offices and work on the side because they have non-competes. They don't want that. You know, so that's where the prison thing fit. My partner does some um, urgent care kind of things. Um, We've done telemedicine. Um, We've done wound care in nursing homes. Um, We've done directorships for nursing homes and um, specialty clinics. We have a women's outreach clinic here that we work with. These kind of things, side hustles. You know, how how am I going to pay the how am I going to pay the bills so that I can do what I want to do? 
Um, and that's not totally mercenary. All those outlets have broadened me as a physician, broadened me as a person for sure. Um, um, and, and they boil down to how willing are you to work <laughs> to stay out of debt um, so that you get to that point where your practice is, you know, viable, you know, making money and, and um, paying your bills. And then, um, you know, I think there's, there was a lot for me to learn about partnership and what that looks like, a lot for me to learn about um, taxes and, how, you know, good grief, my taxes are so complicated these days. <laughs> <laughs> used to be so simple, you know, you know, how to, how to think through that, you know, um, you need a good accountant, you need to be thinking about it. I, my, my go-to is kind of to not think about things and just keep plugging away, working, um, and um, I'm, I'm a perfect example of someone who could be totally taken advantage of. So, you know, my, my nurse has helped me immensely in, um, you know, just running the practice. You know, where are we ordering stuff from? Did you remember to cancel that subscription to that? You know, did, you know, um, inventory and these kind of things. But then um, when you get out of medical school, people don't tell you this. When you get out of medical school, Certainly while you're in residency, but definitely when you're done, insurance salesmen are going to show up, like, every day. <laughs> and, you know, they'll have, like, great reasons why you need to buy their product. And, you know, you just become a target for all the financial advisors and all these kind of people. So um, you need advice, you need good advice, but you need advice you can trust. And you just have to be, you just have to be shrewd, you have to be wise, um, or everything you've worked for is going to go away and you're and again it comes down to you're not going to have the ability to take care of people like you think they should be taken care of and like and like you should like you're not going to do medicine that you're proud of you're going to check boxes for a system so right so, yeah. i think that many of us know that healthcare has become quite synonymous with controversial topics and political topics as well so not to get super controversial you know a lot of people might jump to the conclusion that uh, or jump to the assumption that having a private practice is not a good thing or kind of judge a physician for going to private practice maybe it's because uh, it might be they view it as a, a lucrative option and more of a selfish option um, so what would you just say to someone that might be against private practice yeah, sure. I mean, I think this comes back to why we're in medicine. I mean, on, um, honestly, it does. It's not necessarily a lucrative option. You know, we try to make the best financial decisions we can. You know, we try to be responsible about how we, you know, how we run our practice, etc. You know, I've, especially, I, I think as you look at the direct primary care model, you'll see some very self-sacrificial physicians that are turning essentially the profits of being independent into time with a patient. You know, um, if you're trying to make a killing on medicine, you're not going to put out a thing on your website that says, we spend an hour with each patient. I promise you, you're not. I mean, that's just not lucrative. You know, I've been able to develop a reputation in this community, to have a standing, to have a say in this community. You know, when the coronavirus, you know, when tech shut down, whatever, last week, you know, two Christian schools, you know, three or four different other um, um, parachurch sort of organizations, um, and then a 
ton of businesses because obviously I network with lots of small businesses. We're all calling me saying, "Hey Matt, what, what should we do? How do we handle this?" And you know, Gene and I had time to sit down and say, "Hey, here's what we think. Here's our advice." You know, and people were listening to us, and so we felt like we had that standing. We had that, which is something we only had because of our private status, because we were because we were respected for our, our private status, which I think. Back to specifically your question, you know, if I'm if I'm working in the system, you know, I am I am one piece of this um, cog. Honestly, I'm not the responsible piece. I'm I'm the lucrative piece. Um, I don't think that's necessarily less selfish. I mean, I think that can be much more selfish in saying, you know, no, I don't want this responsibility. You know, I don't want my phone to ring in the middle of the night. Um, I don't, you know, I don't want to take this responsibility for my patients. I, you know, when panic strikes, I don't want them coming to me. I want them calling the hotline, you know, as opposed to being independent, being private for me. And again, for most direct primary care doctors is about taking ownership of the patient relationship and saying, I'm going to be there for you with my skill set. Um, you know, I'm going to choose a pricing structure that's fair. Um, that, you know, a third of my practice is uninsured. A lot of people look at my practice and think it's a concierge practice. Um, this is desperately not a concierge practice. And another third, so 60% of my practice, another third of my practice has, we would call them underinsured, very high deductible plans, um, health sharing ministries, these kinds of things. And, um, and then in a final third, you know, probably has the best insurance you can buy. We see a lot of Virginia Tech people or you know people that work for the school system or the police department that have good insurance um, makes no difference to us right insurance becomes a private decision that the patient makes based on their situation and their risk level and I take care of anyone at the same amount of care same level of quality you know quality I can stand by at the same price and yeah we offer scholarships for patients that can't afford you know we have a family we've taken care of for five years now and haven't got a penny out of them just decided there's a lot of things around that decision but we just decided whatever that we can do this we can we can still do this so um and not to harp on my theme here we have the freedom to do that you know i can say that you know i can say sure i want to help this person out let's do it um let's do it and um nobody nobody freaks out when i pull my script pad out you know at the farmer's market and write somebody a script you know (laughs) nobody's um, and I can hear all the like type A people at VCOM like having small panic panic attacks listening to me say some of these things. But when when you have that autonomy to be who you want to be, you can you can use that for good. You know, you don't have to just use that for for selfishness. Um, so um, I think I think again without being too political, you know, if we go to a single payer system. Um, one of the freedoms that we would lose in that um, would be any private medicine. We would have to, you know, if you're going to have a single payer system, you can't have private medicine. It just doesn't work. You know, it, it, it creates more disparity in care if you have a private system and a public system. And so, you know, I think in the interest of preserving options, preserving access to care, um, I think a free market on this topic is the only way to do that. It, you know, to give patients options, um, to give, um, 
to give the market options, to give physicians options to say, hey, um, come see me because you want to see me because I'm good, because I'm working hard for you. Um, make that a contract between the patient and the physician. And if you don't like me, go somewhere else. You know, that's, a, that's fantastic accountability for, for, a, for a private physician. So we've talked a lot about just figuring out if private practice is right for mm-hmm. someone. Um, for someone that's deciding to make those steps, what are some um, first steps that someone needs to be aware of and someone needs to take to really get their uh, practice up and running? I know you mentioned a little bit more of the, the financial aspects, but um, for someone that is completely clueless on where to start, uh, what are some first steps? Yeah, I mean, I think um, you may have heard of the ideal medical practice. This is the concept of, you know, what um, working back from ideal. You know, what do I want? I'm going to sit down and write down on paper, what does, what's it going to look like for me to practice medicine, how I think it should be practiced. And, you know, as a med student, you're kind of naive probably on some topics or just don't know about this or that aspect of it. But nonetheless, you know, write down what, what am I looking for? What do I want? And then working back from that, how do I, how do I get that? And I mean, that's how I've landed on a direct primary care model. Um, if you Google ideal medical model, you'll get a whole lot of blog topics and, and articles about what, what, what would the best medicine possible look like. And I think you have to have a view of that, you know. Um, there's, you don't just have to go along with the way it's working everywhere else. You know, let's, let's stick to our guns and say, okay, okay, okay. I'm the one that earned this degree. How do I want to use this degree? What what manages our my society, my community? How do I manage this this or this situation best? You know, um, and then and then work back from that. And then I think if you do choose going to private practice, and you're looking at um, business models and these kind of things, it's a big learning curve. Mm-hmm. Um, start with the white coat investor. I don't know if you've seen that book um, or that blog. You know, learn about some of these financial kind of things that you may or may not know that much about, and then you know start looking into. You know, there's a lot of resources out there on how to start a business. I you know, One Stop Virginia is a, a um, it's actually a state website for people starting small businesses. Um, and there's a lot of resources through that. You know, a lot of it targeted at, I mean, it's very broad, you know, how to start a bakery, you know. Um, but some of the principles are the same, you know, sitting down, do, going through all those checklists, you know, have I done my market research? What overhead will I need on a monthly basis? You know, where's my, what are my upfront costs? How am I going to pay for those? Do I need investors, loans, this side or the other? You know, what's my tax structure going to be? You know, what is my, and then, and then putting all this into a, a proposal almost that I would take to a, poten- like I did this, you know, that I would take to a potential investor. I didn't take it to any investors. We did this without needing that, but it was helpful for me to write it all out, to say up front, and this is back in 2013, 2014, finishing residency, thinking this through, you know, I, wa- I wanted to have everything in a single document. How is my practice, how do I think my practice is going to work? you know and and then have somebody read that who knows what they're talking about who started a business who's run a business have them poke holes in it go back scratch some things start over these kind of things so I think um, that's a big learning curve for a lot of um, sciencey kind of people who don't have a master's of business administration Um, some of you may have that awesome Um, 
I don't think you necessarily need that to do this. You know, I think you can keep it simple enough and hire out the resource. You know, especially again in a direct primary care model. You know, my business is wonderfully simple, <laughs> um, and and that's the only way I, I could be doing it. <laughs> but um, um, there's a lot of good resources. You ask here about what different resources. Um, again, I'm kind of going more towards direct primary care, but um, you know, Atlas MD is a group out of Wichita, Kansas that. Um, we've used essentially as mentors in setting up our practice. They designed our electronic medical record. They're about four or five years ahead of me on direct primary, the direct primary care movement. And just I've used their, their lawyers to help draw up my contracts. You know, I use their insurance company for my malpractice, these kind of things. Um, there's actually a doctor up in Forest, Virginia, right near Lynchburg, Dr. Farrago, who wrote a book on, basically is a book of checklists on, I'm starting a direct primary care practice what do I need um, there's some there's a lot of stuff through the AAFP there's an AAFP toolkit private practice care toolkit and then a direct primary care toolkit which again is just a lit, it, it looks like a bunch of checklists it, you know and it's detailed it's down to like you know cotton balls and q-tips you know <laughs> do I have those you know flu swabs oh forgot about that you know um, and just thinking about these kinds of things which you know you know, if you're worried about passing boards, don't think about this stuff yet. But one day, this is this is actually what medicine is going to look like. You know, one one thing I have to do every week is get online, look at my inventory list, and say, can I beat this on Amazon? You know, these kind of questions about you know patient counts or whatever. So, um, so there, there's a lot of resources out there as you get closer to it. Um, again, the first step is getting through school, I guess. Um, but certainly, once you're in residency. Once you're in that last year of residency where you're really starting to burn out a little bit and be ready to so ready to be done. And um, you know, I think most primary care people, by the time they're in the last couple months of residency, are, you know, coasting, thinking about the future, um, really start leaning into that kind of stuff. Are there any, just, you can give me one or two examples of just any major unexpected challenges that you ran into when you first started out this practice? Yeah, you know, I think um, these are specific to me, I guess, because hopefully um, someone else would have thought of these things. But, you know, some of the hardest things up front for me were, well, actually continue to be, is setting boundaries with patients and having, you know, we're reinventing the wheel here a little bit with medicine, direct primary care. A lot of patients aren't familiar with that, you know. Um, so educating your patients on what to expect from you, what's appropriate. It's not appropriate to show up at my house at 6 p.m. with a medical question. And trust me, this has happened, okay? Um, and I encourage some of that. You know, I live in a rural area. We had a guy, this is an awesome story, showed up on our front porch. He'd been slaughtering pigs further down my road, had one, his left hand inside the cap, the chest cavity and stuck a knife through the chest cavity into his hand and wrapped it up with a... I guess like a bloody dish towel was what it was by the time it got to my house and was just standing on the porch ringing my doorbell (laughs) and my wife was like there's a really rough looking dude out there (laughs) and um yeah so we sewed that guy up on our porch and um well we cleaned him up on our porch we sewed him up on my kitchen table and um which was fun and I was like this is like this is awesome I'm so happy to do this he was a paying patient of mine so um that went on to kind of 
bite us because then everybody thought that was appropriate, you know. And of course, he went and told everybody in the whole community. And sure, we got a lot of patience from that. Like it was a pretty famous encounter in the end. Um, but no, it's not appropriate for patients to show up on my porch. So it, it's those kind of things, sussing out what's appropriate, you know, and, and getting taken advantage of. When, when am I okay with like going the extra mile? When is it affecting other shareholders in my decision making? And my, you know, my kids are a good example. You know, when am I, when am I, when am I cutting into their time by being so available to people? When am I serving this sort of like idol of I'm the greatest, nicest doctor ever? I'll do anything for everybody, anybody, and sort of this self-aggrandizing image of myself that I'm projecting. <laughs> or, or when am I being smart and just saying, okay, it's time for me to turn off and be off? So that's that's a challenge. And then I think um, hiring, firing is a is a challenge that's really hard um you know you know interviewing someone you know and having to make that decision you know very stressful you know very stressful um especially after i had my parents going for a while and i felt like i had all this to lose you know i didn't want to compromise it by who i who i picked so um the boundaries thing i think is going to be important for any branch of medicine no matter who you are you know, and that's knowing who I am. Are you okay with going to church and having everybody like taking clothes off to show you rashes? You know, are you okay with, you know, being in Kroger and being asked questions? You know, are you okay with family members calling and say, hey, will you refill my fill in the blank? You know, my Ativan, <laughs> you know, because you filled in, you filled so and so's blood pressure medicine, so why won't you fill my Ativan? You know, these, and, and just being able to say, um, no, I'm not comfortable with it. Here's why. Um, or just thinking those things. Maybe you are. Maybe that is comfortable. I, don't, I, I would say that's a bad one to go down. But, um, maybe, maybe you are comfortable with some of that. So thinking those things through, and then realizing that even if you're not in private practice, you are a public figure. You know, you know, you're not going to be able to walk into a pharmacy. You know, and people know who you are and you know not get treated differently than you would other places these kind of things being okay with that being um managing that getting what you want out of it and not not just getting taken advantage by the system so the, the last question i have for you you've provided a lot of advice to medical students or directed at medical students so far um, in the previous questions that I asked, but is there any particular advice that you might have for medical students right now, whether it be related to um, private practice, starting up a, a business, direct primary care, or just in life in general? Um, but just any advice that you might have. Yeah, and um, I, um, I guess I'm eight, nine years out from med school, and it seems like so long ago. But, um, you know, I think you need to, you got to preserve some kind of life outside of school and work. Uh, once, you know, once you're in residency, you call it work, but it's still school. Um, I played rugby. So, you know, two nights a week, I would go out for three hours and smash people. And then I'd travel all over the state playing rugby. And it was a ton of fun. Um, my wife and I just had really good friends. We kept up our social life. We went out. We had people over. Um, and those things were important to us. Um, those are important to our mental, mental health, I think. We went camping a lot. We went hiking a lot. And, you know, at some point, we I, I think we did this subconsciously, but I think 
as med school is, you know, affects everybody a little bit differently and match time and, you know, internal medicine rotations once you're in in residency or whatever inpatient, you know, when you just have zero time, you have to be very intentional about these kinds of things and saying, yeah, I'm going to rugby practice or, you know, we're going on a hike. I don't care. I'm, I'll, you know, I'll figure that out this afternoon when I get back to my laptop, you know, um, and that's important. And that's important for your the sustainability of this whole I'm going to be a doctor project. Um, that's important for your mental health. But that's also important for what kind of doctor you're going to be. You know, this DO premise of it takes a whole person to make a whole, to care for whole people. And that's not just like, you know, rhetoric. You know, that's that's for real. You know, you're, you know, when my practice opened, most of the people I was seeing were roughly my age with kids roughly my age you know that's kind of who came to me first and they had real problems same kind of real problems I had and I was able to speak into those because I was in the middle of them and I was taking them seriously I wasn't this total like you know white coat lab rat who'd been in a basement for six years cutting apart bodies (laughs) you know I was you know I was a part of it was family practice it could be anything you know and um, and I think that's you know, another strain I had coming out was my ability to walk into a room and it be anything, you know, and not really know what they were going to ask me next. And that stressed you, that stresses you out like crazy, when, especially in turn year where you're like, oh, I got it, you know, what if they ask me about something I don't know? Oh, no. Um, and you build that confidence through residency. You, you work on that confidence your whole life. And I think the biggest or the, the, the quickest the quickest route from point A to point B on that is, um, sorry, that's my three-year-old yelling in the background. <laughs> the quickest route between, for, the quickest w- way to get that confidence to get there is keep yourself a whole person. Keep yourself balanced. Keep hobbies. Keep interests. Keep travel if that's something you like to do. Keep reading if that's something like you like to do. Listen to the news. You know, I, I remember like, huge chunks of residency where I was like I haven't even heard the news in like six weeks you know I don't know what's going on you know listen to the news be be a part of life in your community so that um, so that you can be available to people like that and have that confidence to interact with people yeah you guys will be fine um, I love VCOM I know I feel like when I was at VCOM there was just this whole like everybody was mad angry frustrated a lot of that was directed at the school that's all med schools, by the way. <laughs> um, and looking back, you know, I made some of my best friends, people I still keep up with, had some amazing memories and good times, and have a lot of good to say about VCOM and some of the professors there that I still have kept up with that have been just awesome. So um, get through it. Don't burn any bridges. Um, and then um, and I, people ask me, would you recommend somebody else go into medicine? And you have to think about that, you know. And I think, yes, I'm very proud of my decision to go into medicine. I love medicine. I love what I do. Um, but it doesn't have to be for anyone, everyone. And if you're in it for the wrong reasons, we don't want you here either. Um, and, and the truth is, you're going to find out pretty soon that you don't want to be here. So find those kind of things out early on. So, anyway, thanks, Jim. For more PRN, please be on the lookout. If you like this episode, tell someone about it and start up a conversation. I'm Alana Castro-Gilliard. I'm Chandler Davis. And this is PRN.